Okay, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, our July 5th service. Can you believe it is already July? Um, we're grateful that you were joining us. Hopefully you've had um, a restful couple of days uh, with some time off, I hope, and um, are able you know, to come a little to service a bit more refreshed and um, awake, hopefully. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to start off with just um, reading uh, Psalm 84, uh, verses 10 through 12. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord God than give, than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for um, just the grace of knowing you, the grace of being in your presence and to be assembled with uh, your family in worship and praise of you. We invite your presence in every home, Lord, to unite our hearts and our minds as we give glory and offer praise to your name because you are so deserving. You have kept us, you keep us, and uh, your love abounds toward us. And so we thank you for the blessings and how you've seen our community through. And we remember those, Father, who are ill and suffering loss who mourn and um, Lord, those who rejoice today, um, make us instruments of your peace, oh God, to share with them in any state that we um, may highlight uh, the word community in the name of our church and that we might highlight that your community, your goodness, that you are God and above you there's none other. We bless you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today uh, for worship, um, I have a particular treat. I asked um, a friend of mine, her name is Kavutha Wanzia Asil. Um, she lives in Nairobi, Kenya to provide worship for us today. Um, and so I am so excited to have her with me. Um, I met her when we were in Boston uh, she was a student at Berkeley and years ago and Berkeley College of Music. And we have maintained a friendship ever since. So she is joined by her husband, Joseph Asiel, as they bring our worship today. So let's praise the Lord. Amen. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Bye. 
grace to claim I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb Jesus Oh 
in my life. <laughs> I love her. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, so um, I want to make a comment because we're probably given where we are in our country uh, with all the protests and things. We spend a lot of time changing the words, but the colorism um, and color issues are dealt with differently in Africa. And so I just want to point that out. And they're still there. Don't get me wrong but they don't think of things in the same way we do. So we're blessed to have her. I have a couple of announcements um, and uh, to share with you. Our website, our new website is up and running and it's beautiful and well-developed. And we wanna thank Andrew Richardson for putting that together for our church. Can you give him a thumbs up or for doing that. So go check that out. It's a beautiful thing. Now, that website is going to enable us to actually host our services from the website itself. And so we have just maybe a few more weeks on Zoom, and then we'll have a different platform that may be better uh, for us in terms of music and things for us to, uh, to share with. So I'm excited about that and moving forward with that. Um, in relation to that, um, Andrew has been holding down our services since since everything, since we went and started streaming. And uh, we want to give Andrew a break and let and say thank you to him. So I'm talking to those who are a part of our projection crew and sound crew about organizing themselves so they can actually begin to host. But I don't want to limit it to those folks. If somebody in our congregation or in the midst has a desire to be a part of uh, hosting our services, we're going to play with recorded pieces like we did and live pieces and, you know, and so, so we're going to get really interesting and so folks that are interested in uh, that kind of work and production are within our midst, uh, contact me, uh, angel at mosaicphiladelphia.org or Jessica and let us know. Um, we also want to let you know that we have hired uh, Raheem Curry to serve as the youth specialist for our church. So another praise to God. Um, uh, in the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to meet uh, um, Rahim uh, at a service that we're offering. Um, we are in the last stages. Uh, hopefully, if we get a yes, we've offered the uh, director of operations position to uh, someone. And so we're waiting for their answer and all. And so we're moving forward and it's exciting. And we bless the Lord for the people that, that God sent him to us. So. Um, it's really a pleasure. And, uh, and so we are um, moving away from, mm, let's just kind of hang out on Zoom until we see what happens to, okay, this is our life and 
we're going to make it better and we're going to we're going to live within the context we're, that we're given all right so cool marley it's good to see you up and moving and and with us yay um thank everybody for the prayers that they offered for ashley and derek um and their and their baby uh and um nubia the whole family and the new baby within ashley um i appreciate so much that i can post that and people respond um when it comes to things like that i just want to get a full community of people calling their names before the throne um that god will hear i believe that god hears our prayers and answers them and so thank you for joining in that she's resting at home um last i heard so she's 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 okay um just continue to pray that um uh that she doesn't go into having contract contractions too early and that that little girl stays nestled in her mommy until she is fully developed and it's time for her to come in and meet us in person amen all right and lastly um our servant today is going to come from our own melissa men um she's going to speak with us a bit about uh in the in the context of our Christian belief and um, this Independence Day celebration, um, to talk about the varied perspectives that there are. Um, so we welcome Melissa. You'll see her driving in her car to Harrisburg. So she recorded it for us. Glad to see you, Melissa. And uh, but she will be here uh, delivering our sermons. So. Lord, bless us as we listen. Help us to hear what you have to say to each of our hearts individually and what you will share with us uh, as a community. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Mosaic family and friends. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Melissa Min, and I'm the Director of Children and Families at Mosaic Community Church. Uh, in addition to serving on staff, my uh, husband Kenny and I have been invested members of the Mosaic community since 2007. Mosaic is not only the place where I work, it is the community that I help to build. Uh, I also consider it my family. And it's an honor to be with you all this morning, even if it is virtually. So I wonder what your 4th of July celebrations were like yesterday. Um, did some of you just stay at home to be safe during quarantine? Uh, did some of you brave the outdoors and practice social distancing and enjoy the 4th of July uh, outdoors? Perhaps um, some of you even enjoyed some fireworks. Um, for me and my family, the 4th of July is an opportunity for us to enjoy the summer weather with our good friends and family. Um, and in the past, when we were not in quarantine, uh, we enjoyed going to the beach together and enjoyed cooking out in the backyard together, maybe even seeing some fireworks together. Um, but to be completely honest with you, the 4th of July has never, um, not even once, been a patriotic occasion for me. And you see, for me and for a lot of folks of color in this country, the 4th of July is actually a glaring contradiction. It's supposed to be a day when we're celebrating America's independence from British rule. 
uh, a day when we're reveling in patriotism and the love for one's country. Uh, but for most Americans of color, including me and my family, um, especially for Black Americans, the 4th of July is not occasion uh, to necessarily be celebrated because we're not enjoying the same freedoms and celebrations as our white counterparts. So I'm going to share the screen with you so you can take a look at some slides. So uh, please be patient with me as I figure this out. All right. So I invite each of you um, to think about the 4th of July. Again, for me and for many folks of color in this country, the 4th of July poses the question, whose freedom is being celebrated? Whose America is being celebrated? Who is considered worthy of belonging in this country? Frederick Douglass, um, who was a former slave turned abolitionist and a very famous orator, um, gave a very important and powerful speech that spoke to this very dilemma, this glaring contradiction. And although it was delivered on July 5th, 1852, exactly 168 years ago today, it is still hauntingly relevant. During his keynote address entitled, What to the Slave? is the 4th of July at an Independence Day celebration in Rochester, New York, Douglas stated, fellow citizens, pardon me, allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? I say it with a sad sense of the disparity between us. I am not included within the pale of glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought light and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. And so I ask each of you to consider this question again. What does the 4th of July mean for you when so many Americans of color, especially black Americans are not truly equal nor free? Instead of being able to enjoy a harassment free barbecue in the local park, or quiet and peaceful bird watching expedition in Central Park. People of color, especially black folks in America, are mistreated and brutalized, hated and murdered, incarcerated and caged, 
discriminated against, silenced, written out of history, ignored, excluded, and ultimately dehumanized. This is America in 2020. America is often called the land of the free, but for whom? The recent race uprisings and ongoing protests speak to a country that doesn't see each of its citizens as equal or free. Some Americans, yes, are protected by the police, while others are profiled, targeted, and murdered for being Black. White folks can comfortably jog in their neighborhoods without any fear, while Black folks have to assume the possibility that if they go for a jog, they may be harassed, or worse yet, murdered, or jogging while Black or doing everyday normal things like going to the corner store to buy a bag of Skittles and a bottle of iced tea. So again, I ask each of you, Mosaic, whose freedom are we actually celebrating on the 4th of July? And whose freedom is left out from this celebration and needs to be fought for? For many of those in the Black community, Independence Day is not celebrated on July 4th. Rather, it's celebrated on June 19th, a day known as Juneteenth, the day that slavery was finally declared to be over in Texas, two whole years after the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves. Did any of you learn about Juneteenth growing up in your schools? I know that I didn't. I didn't even know about Juneteenth until last year, and it was hard to miss. There was a huge parade and celebrations that took place right outside of our church building at Malcolm X Park. And I know that my kids also didn't learn about this important holiday. In fact, I had to go to the public library and check out a few books to not only educate myself, but to teach my children about Juneteenth. And I have found that time and time again, the histories, stories, and narratives of the oppressed people in our country is intentionally left out from our schools. Sanitized and watered down versions of history often from a white lens, are taught in very destructive and toxic ways to us and our children. The history of racism isn't even fully addressed, if ever, for so many of our children. And the responsibility often falls on parents of color to fill in those glaring gaps in history. And for a lot of white folks and white parents in our country, Talking about race and racism is downright uncomfortable, but it needs to be done. Studies show that time and time again, when parents don't talk about race or racism with their children, children pick up that talking about differences in skin color is bad or taboo or maybe even racist. These same children are more likely to develop negative views about interracial inter friendships and relationships. 
avoiding talking about race or racism with your kids won't mean that your kids will grow up to not be racist. In fact, studies show that it's the opposite. Kids are watching us carefully, not just to what they hear us say, but they're paying attention to how we treat others who are different from us. They are paying attention to when we speak up and when we choose to remain silent, especially when um, horrific things are happening in the news to people of color, especially black folks. And children are definitely paying attention to what friends and people are welcome into our homes and our lives. I'd like to share the screen with you again um, to share with you an infographic. All right, this infographic is called They're Not Too Young to Talk About Race, and it was created by the former preschool where both my kids attended um, here in West Philadelphia, the Children's Community School. And what I love about this infographic is it really breaks down um, through evidence-based research how children are processing and understanding race, especially when they're not being talked to about race. All right, so let me get my pointer out. Okay, so here, if you look here, babies as early as, early as three months of age look more at the faces uh, that match the race of their caregivers. Okay, so they're actually preferring to look more at the faces of the, the folks that look like their caregivers. Here by 30 months, that's shy of three years of age, most children use race to choose playmates. And by age four and five, expressions of racial prejudice often peak. Now, um, my youngest son just finished kindergarten, so this data point really stood out to me. By kindergarten, children show many of the same racial attitudes that adults hold in our culture. They have already learned to associate some groups with higher status than others. And this data point gives me a lot of hope. Explicit conversations with five to seven-year-olds about interracial friendship can dramatically improve their racial attitudes in as little as a single week. So again, silence about race reinforces racism by letting children draw their own conclusions based on what they see. So uh, the responsibility falls on teachers, those who work with young folks, and families to play a really critical and powerful role in helping to shape race perceptions. Talking to kids about race and racism is one way we can make sure that the legacy of race, racism, and anti-blackness in our families and our communities ends with us. So we can actually help to raise a different generation of children who have been taught to appreciate, honor, and love the humanity and the divinity of all the people that they encounter that they work with or go to school with and live with. If you're a parent or an educator or someone who works with young folks, I strongly invite you to begin talking to your children 
if you haven't already begun these conversations about race and racism and injustice, what works for our family is to have regular bite-sized conversations about these topics and not just one long and awkward uh, conversation about um, racism and injustice when something horrific happens in the news. These conversations can stem from what's happening in the news or they can even stem from what happens during recess at school. Just ask your kids about what's happening during recess. My kids identify as Asian, so these conversations are not optional for our family. Like other children of color, my own children are experiencing racism directly from their own classmates, and they see it happen to their friends. And they need to understand how to recognize injustice, how to respond, and how to safely speak up. So uh, some of the great resources that have helped me talk to my children about racism um, are Raising Race Conscious Children. This happens to, me, to be my absolute favorite resource. Um, and we actually brought the folks in from this organization to give a talk to our families last year during our parenting series about how to actually do that, how to begin race conversations with children. Another resource that I absolutely love as an educator is Teaching Tolerance. Um, and one that I just recently discovered that is also super rich with resources is EmbraceRace.org. So our family uh, finds it helpful to read books, uh, picture books, chapter books um, that start conversations about race or racism. In fact, I'm going to be reading some of those books to the children at Mosaic on our Mosaic Kids YouTube channel this summer. So parents, uh, you and your kids are invited to watch the brief videos, which will feature read-alouds and some engaging questions to help spark important conversations for you and your kids at home. I'm going to be calling these read-alouds Social Justice Saturdays, and the new video will be posted each Saturday until the end of the summer. And for adults, um, especially white adults who are coming into awareness of their own privileges and of the injustices that exist in our very own communities, there's a lot of work to be done. Awareness can't just remain at awareness. It must turn into action. Educating yourself is one way to start the process of unrooting deep-seated biases and racism. May I suggest that you can begin by reading and engaging with the anti-racism works of Ibram Kendi, Robin DiAngelo, Brian Stevenson, and Ta-Nehisi Coates. You can talk with other white folks about what you are learning. In fact, I encourage you to do so. But whatever you do, please do not ask people of color to educate you or to explain racism to you. This is emotional labor for us, and this is the work that needs to be done by white folks amongst yourselves. I also invite you to take the implicit bias tests that are put forth by Harvard. You may be surprised by what implicit biases you hold about folks of color, folks with different gender and sexual identities, and folks with different body abilities. These implicit bias tests are free and they're online. 
I will repost all of these resources uh, in the newsletter recap of this talk. So having difficult conversations, reading anti-racism books, and educating oneself are all great ways to start this important work in our own selves and in our communities. However, anti-racism work cannot and must not end there. Anti-racism work never ends, even when it's no longer trending on social media. So I invite each of you to closely examine the choices that you make every single day that contribute to the systems that oppress people who are not white, cisgendered, or able-bodied. There are some tough questions that we need to ask ourselves. Who makes up my circle of friends? Is it homogenous or all the same in race, gender, and sexual identity? Who's left out of my circle of friends and why? Also ask yourself, who are my children friends with? Do they all look the same and hold the same identities? Which neighborhood do I choose to live in and invest in? Which neighborhoods do I tend to avoid and why? Also, deeply ask yourself, where do I decide to send my children to school? Why do I decide not to send my kids to the neighborhood school? Do I choose to move to a different neighborhood when my kids are school age ready? Which groups of people do I regularly interact with and which groups do I choose to limit my contact with and why? And then ask yourself again, why? Where do I choose to spend my money? Do I pay attention to who owns the businesses that I regularly patronize? And are those businesses owned and run and operated by people of color? Ask yourselves, which narratives and voices do I prioritize when I watch a movie or a television show, read a book, listen to music, or watch a play? Whose stories demand and capture my attention and whose stories do I not hear enough of? And ask yourselves, whose histories have I learned and believed and whose histories am I needing to learn more of or am I ignorant of? These are the tough questions that we must ask ourselves every single day if we're going to make any actionable changes towards becoming anti-racist. All of these questions that I pose to you is boiling down to one fundamental question. What privileges are you willing to give up, especially if you are white, to make sure that others have access to wealth, power, and a better life. Are you willing to give up your privileges and your comforts to ensure that freedom is extended to everyone in this country? Privilege is defined as the unearned benefits given to people who fit into a specific social group. And in our country, white, cisgendered, heterosexual, Protestant, able-bodied males have the most privilege and enjoy the greatest unearned benefits. 
However, folks can enjoy unearned benefits from other social groupings as well. For example, you can enjoy privileges if you're able-bodied, if you're more educated, if you have greater wealth. You can also enjoy privileges for being skinny or lighter skinned in your race category, uh, or if you identify as cisgender or heterosexual. Jesus made it very clear that in order to inherit the kingdom of God, in order to follow him and do his radical work, we actually have to give up the things that we hold the tightest to. And for a lot of us, that is the comforts of our privilege. Let's quickly visit the story of the rich young man and the kingdom of God from Matthew 19, verses 16 through 30. If you have your Bibles with me, I encourage you to read along. I will also share the screen so we can read along together. The rich man and the kingdom of God. Matthew 19, verses 16 through 30. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And I love Jesus' response. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come Follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, is it, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will what the passage of scripture that we just read tells me about Jesus is that he made it crystal clear. In order to follow him, 
in order to inherit the kingdom of God, we must give up our comforts and privileges, just like he was inviting the rich man to give up his comforts and privileges, his wealth. Jesus is calling us to give up the things that make us most comfortable in this world, in this country, in our communities. It's our privilege. And today that means we must challenge the white supremacy that dehumanizes and brutalizes our brothers and sisters who are not white. We must become actively anti-racist and not just passively not racist. Anti-racism work must become the work of the church. For far too long, churches, especially white, predominantly white churches, have remained violently and destructively silent and neutral on the subject of racism and anti-blackness in our country. We cannot let that happen at Mosaic. Literal lives depend on whether we remain silent during these times or whether we become actively anti-racist. If we are a church that centers Jesus, we must do the work that Jesus did and that Jesus calls us to do today. Jesus radically loved the most oppressed and marginalized people of his time. The widowers, the sex workers, the lepers, the disabled folks, those who had mental illness, the undereducated, the poor, the tax collectors, the racial minorities, the criminals, the sinners, the beggars, the chronic bleeders, the lonely and the despised. He didn't turn his face away from them. He didn't recoil at their touch. Rather, he turned towards them. He embraced them. He fed them and healed them. Jesus, and this is what I love most about him, offered them a seat not just any seat, but the first seat in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus offered them radical love and belonging, radical inclusion and acceptance. So Mosaic, how will we as a church participate in Jesus's greater, greatest call for action from all of us? How will each of us create a beloved community that truly reflects the diverse and beautiful kingdom of God? Will we be like that wealthy young man who found it so incredibly hard to give up his wealth and his privilege to follow Jesus? Will we choose to remain comfortable in our friendships and schools and neighborhoods and livelihoods and turn a blind eye to all those who are suffering around us so that we can enjoy our unearned privileges? Or will we become the body of Christ that does the hard work, the hard work and hard examination that needs to be done to root out the ways that each of us contribute to systems that oppress others? Will we choose to live into our values of being centered around Jesus by radically including 
loving, and serving everyone who walks through our church doors, regardless of how they smell, of how much education and wealth they have, of how they identify. Rather, regardless, right, of who they choose to marry or go to bed with. Mosaic, what changes will each of you make to ensure that those who do not look like you or live like you still experience the radical belonging and love offered in the kingdom of God? What changes will you make to give up some of your comforts and privileges to ensure that those who have less access to resources can share in on some of those privileges? Will you turn your awareness into action starting today? My prayer is that our church will truly reflect the work and love of Jesus to all those who enter our doors and to all those whom we encounter in West Philadelphia and beyond. My prayer is that Mosaic will truly be a reflection of the kingdom of God, the beloved community, diverse, inclusive, affirming, anti-racist, and radically welcoming and accepting. I leave you today with the powerful and relevant words of the great civil rights activist, Ella Baker. Her words were turned into a beautiful song by Dr. Bernice Johnson Regan, and it is sung by Sweet Honey and the Rock. This song is called Ella's Song, and I invite each of you to listen closely to the lyrics and perhaps sing along to declare together and collectively that we as a body of Christ and that we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Again, that we who believe in freedom cannot and will not rest until it comes. God bless you, Mosaic. And I pray that God keeps each of you healthy and safe during these times. Thank you. This next song that we're going to do with the choir is called Ella's Song. It's named for Ella Baker. Ella Baker was a staunch fighter, a staunch advocate for young people and their involvement in the civil rights movement. One who would sit for hours and listen as young people discussed and debated strategies for how they would move next in whatever direction they decided they wanted to go. These are Ella Baker's words. They were set to music by Bernice Johnson Regan, Ella's song. Now these are some very strong words we're saying here, so it means we need everyone to sing with us. The chorus. I'm going to teach you the chorus. I want you to sing it back to me. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes now. We but it's weak. There's a lot of things going on in the world right now. 
There's a lot of freedoms being threatened. Think about it. Here we go. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Good. Now, Carol and I will sing the verses, and when it's your turn, come in nice and strong. Ready? Whenever you are. <laughs> until the killing of black men, black mothers, sons, is as important as sermon. Thank you, Melissa, uh, for that. That's beautiful and challenging. And so I hope that we will um, look for his letter and visit the uh, websites and um, places that she encouraged us to visit. I want to hit a couple of things. Uh, I always promised myself I'd be, never be a pastor who re-preaches a sermon. So I'm going to be careful. You've already heard the sermon. But I want to highlight that it is important for all parents to fill the gaps in our children's education. And that requires that we fill the gaps in ourselves first and then are able to share with our kids. I'm really excited about the social justice Saturdays that Melissa is going to bring forward for kids. But please know they're not limited to just the kids. So we all can watch it and the things that we all can learn through the process. 
um, in a fun way and through very sweet books. Um, and uh, lastly, um, giving up privilege is not an easy thing. We recognize that, but it is an important thing. When we have the right to do something, say things, be in spaces, um, we enjoy it, you know? Uh, extending, giving up, and sometimes we need to give up, but sometimes it, it, it becomes a matter of extending that same privilege to someone else so that um, it ceases to be just my privilege, but all of our privileges and all of our rights. And so in recognizing uh, the spaces that we occupy, we get to ask questions about who can occupy the space with me. Remember that this is not a black versus white, but this is about the reality of spreading the kingdom for everybody. God created for all of us to enjoy. Um, and unfortunately, we've used words like dominion to, to mean rule over and instead of thinking of it in terms of enhancing and making things better. Um, I believe because God is within me and has gifted me uniquely that God's call in my life is, is to make things better. So I really do believe that when I'm in an environment, it gets better. And it's not an arrogant thing. It is just that reality that the uniqueness of what I bring to the situation is only going to add to it and, and enhance it. And I not only believe this about myself, I believe it about each and every one of you. Um, and so um, we have our unique church and have this unique opportunity to educate ourselves uh, and to share our education. It's not fair for, um, as Melissa said, the, the expectation has been over the years for people of color, black people in particular, to educate white people on uh, race. And, and that part is exhausting, honestly. But the part that isn't exhausting is when you're able to share and incorporate what you've learned into your conversation and into the way into the way you live your lives, that is breathtakingly beautiful to me as a person of color. And so it's not about not having conversations. Please hear that. Because one of the things our survey revealed is that we are people who read books by other um, uh, by people who are not like us. And so there's efforts going on across our community to educate ourselves. But it also revealed that we um, aren't having conversations and aren't doing activities that, that demonstrate that. And so it will require some boldness on everyone's part to create those oasises um, where we can do that, have those conversations and um, be poignant and powerful and inclusive in them. And that uh, we work to make them not just oasises, but to fill our landscape, our space with the ability to, uh, to look at, share about, be inclusive and anti-racist and share power multicultural in the way uh, that we live life together. Life is always meant to be lived as a reflection of God in unity and in the beauty of honoring each other for who we are. So again, I want to thank Melissa for um, being the edu beautiful educator that she is and bringing that sermon uh, to us. It was, it was, it was incredible. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to revisit it again and again. Um, and um, 
I want to thank you for not growing weary as we continue. The song is true. We believe in freedom. We, we can't rest. We can take some breaks because we need it, but we have to continue this journey and we continue it together. So um, let's have our last song uh, with uh, Kavutha and Joseph, um, The Refiner's Fire. And I'll be back for the benediction.
Amen. Amen. Our uh, benediction. I love Kavutha. We got to get her live because with the beauty of her voice, you know, being what it is, her real gift is in bringing the community together in worship. So I would love for her to be live with us and bringing us together. Um, our benediction today comes from Romans 15, 5 through 6. It is a writing of Paul where he um, pronounces a benediction of unity to the readers, uh, uh, to the Romans. It um, encourages us to, uh, to experience this unity because it is a gift of God that has the power to transform. But it is the recognition that it also takes time for this to come. It is my prayer, and I believe your prayer, that we would be unified in such a way that we become that beacon on a hill that in, in West Philly that shows something different. The image of the church has been so blemished through the years, through white supremacy and through privilege and money and all kinds of things, that we are called now to be evangelicals to the church, to our community and, and rethinking how we think about the image of Christ and its reflection in the earth. And so I read to you in closing, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. May you be blessed today in your living May you be blessed in the connections you make across your communities. May you be blessed when you look across the table or share the space in your kitchen or the spaces in our world that have been defined for one group of people and not others. May you be blessed when you look into those spaces and you see the world reflected in them. And may you be blessed by your bold stance to hold those doors open because I would rather be a gatekeeper in the kingdom of God, allowing people to come in, to enter and experience the joy and beauty of God's earth, created for us and enhanced by us through the giftings that God has placed within each of us. I'd rather be a gatekeeper than enjoy the, the wealth and riches of wickedness, because that twists what God has made. May we work to untwist it and welcome all. Be blessed, my family. You are loved. Be safe and just be the powerful people you are. I love you. God bless you. Bye-bye.